All right. All right. Let's just, yeah, we'll just jump into it. Okay? Sound good? Yep. Okay. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. Or women. Yeah. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of a man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension filled with crepuscular life. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Twilight is a weird part of the day, or night, or whatever, but see, that's just it. It's neither. It's the in-between. It's like if on Stranger Things you stopped halfway between our reality and the upside down. It's quite odd. Right, but it's not just the not-quite-day, not-quite-night part that's ripe with uncertainty. It's what happens in that time. Richard. And this is The Wildlife, a new podcast from the wildlife.blog about curiosity, discovery, and all things wild. Really wish I knew what these bird calls were. There's one that's going like, hidu, hidu, hidu. What you're hearing in there in the background is us. Yeah, we decided what better way to explore Twilight than by going out at twilight. We live in different states, so twilight is at different times for us, so we sort of just went out individually to capture some sounds and see what we could see, but we'll come back to that. As the sun sets and the darkness falls across the natural world, the air becomes still, cooler, and a new world arises from the shadows as a battle, an evolutionary arms race millions of years in the making rages on. It's like a superpowered thunderdome with each animal gladiator using whatever they've got to survive. Just picture it. A frog strutting around, arms spread wide shouting, Are you not entertained? <laughs> Sight, smell, sound, all of these modified and used in an effort to survive in the twilight zone. Twilight is the period of time between light and dark, right after sunset or right before sunrise. Many animals use the in-between to the best of their abilities with the real carpe diem, yellow-esque mindset, capitalizing on the gray to feed, breathe, and chat it up with friends too dangerous to try and visit at any other time, whether it's in broad daylight or in the dead of night. Earlier, I said the word crepuscular, which you've probably never heard before, but you have probably heard the word nocturnal. Crepuscular is like that, but it refers to animals that are active at twilight rather than at night. But there's a deeper mystery here than what crepuscular means. Rather, why would any animal choose or need such a brief window of time to do the things most vital to their survival? The reason? Balance. Like a complete breakfast, or like when Thanos... Nope, nope, no spoilers, nope. Richard, when you were out at twilight, how would you describe, say, uh, the visibility? Easy to see, hard to see? Well, it wasn't too bright or too dark. It was quite easy to see, but uh, 
looking further into the tree line, you couldn't see nearly as far into the woods. Exactly. So let's imagine you are a predator. Not the kind, but, you know, some type of bird of prey, like a peregrine falcon. Fastest bird alive, reaching up to 70 miles per hour in a dive, more often killing prey by blasting them like a missile than any other way. A formidable predator. But even so, as the Earth rotates and North America enters darkness, the peregrine falcon is defeated by one of its own biggest strengths, its eyes. The same situation plays out with tons of daytime hunters. If we stay focused on birds of prey in particular, it's clear to see why. I like how you just snuck in two night vision puns before people are even going to know they were puns. I know, right? Can I take a guess where you're going? Sure. Well, we both know birds have extraordinary vision. I mean, in proportion to the rest of their head, their eyes are massive, and a huge part of their brain is dedicated towards powering those peepers. Birds are known to be able to see things from really far off distances or from really high up. As it gets darker, that's got to be harder to do. You are totally on the right track, but do you know why it being darker means it's harder for them to see? Anything to do with rods and cones? Exactly right again. For those of you listening, you might remember a few episodes back when we discussed rods and cones, those little cells in the back of your eyes, uh, but in relation to color vision. Well, when you look at bird eyes, you find lots and lots and lots of cones. Those cells allow them to see pretty much in just super high resolution, lots of detail. Now, think about a TV, okay? It's a common misconception out there that birds being able to see things from really far away is because they have zoom vision, like a camera or a telescope. But it's not quite like that. Birds in general see in just very high resolutions, meaning they see the same picture at the same size, but much more detail within that picture like 4K compared to 1080p or 720p or a tube TV. But that superpower comes with a cost, doesn't it? More cones usually means less rods, and less rods means it's harder to see in the dark. Very true, but this isn't the case for all birds. Owls, on the other hand, they're the opposite. Many rods and less cones. This means the brighter it gets, the less they can see. But the darker it gets, the better they can see. And this is pretty much the case for most night-dwelling critters. But that would mean that with less cones, nocturnal animals are probably mostly colorblind too, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Meaning twilight is not only the perfect time to avoid daytime predators with decreasing vision and nighttime predators who can't see well enough quite yet, it's also the perfect time for prey animals like small mammals, mice, squirrels, rabbits, all those sorts of things. Uh, lizards, frogs, and toads, all of them to get out there and do whatever it is they need to do. Lizard dance parties, grocery shopping, all that fun stuff. And do it with a little flavor and a splash of color while they can still see just well enough on their own. For some creatures, twilight is a colorful time. Different types of insects, some songbirds, and some reptiles engage in complicated and colorful displays with over-the-top dances and signals something far too dangerous to be doing in the day when predators could easily locate them. It's sort of like, exactly like, holding a neon takeout sign over your head. But there's another twilight tool that you really can't see. Many twilight active animals rely heavily on smell, either to find food or for defense, and this can be attributed to a well-known trait about twilight that you've likely always felt but never noticed. Right. 
like we said earlier, the wind dies down, the temperature decreases, and the moisture in the air begins to condense into little droplets. But most importantly, it's the ideal conditions for scent to carry in the air, making the source easier to locate or avoid. Think about this. Why do skunks have the ability to spray stinky spray? For one, they are crepuscular animals and their spray is actually a liquid, not a gas-like... How do I put this? A fart. Yeah. And why a liquid? Well, because a liquid can spray a target with more accuracy and precision. Kind of exactly like pepper spray. But still, why is smell defense? In the twilight air, that scent will travel farther and linger longer, acting as a sort of long-term defense. Like a much less inviting neon sign above your head saying, don't mess with me. But see, most birds lack a sense of smell. Which, sidebar, this is a good opportunity to bust a myth here. You've probably heard that you shouldn't pick up a baby bird because the mom will abandon it if it smells a person. While generally speaking, you should still probably leave baby birds alone, it has nothing to do with your body odor. Aside from some seabirds and some scavengers, most birds can't smell. Okay, in sidebar. The trait of birds not being able to smell or lacking a sense of smell, that means that those venturing the twilight zone have yet another shield protecting them from becoming bird feed. But there are other ways that smell comes into play. Now, we don't often think about bats and smell, but bats actually smell very well. That rhymed. They are even known to be able to identify their young or other individuals in the roost or colony by just taking a quick whiff. And some even rely more on scent than echolocation or their eyes to hunt. We can't seem to get away from bats, can we? Also, why are you even mentioning them? Aren't they nocturnal? Yeah, I know. I, I promise we'll step away from bats for a while after this, but I, I am glad you asked. The answer is that most bats aren't really nocturnal. They're mostly crepuscular. In our episode Myth Understood, Busting Bat Myths and Mistruths, uh, we mentioned the myth that bats are blind. The truth is that most bats see just as well as people do. That means uh, just as poorly as people do in the evening. So both in day and night, uh, bats' eyes are pretty much comparable to ours. They're well suited for twilight, as are ours, but they need to rely on their echolocation to more precisely hunt and locate prey uh, as it gets darker outside. So the only thing that really even keeps bats in their roosts until dark is the risk of being eaten by birds of prey, uh, competition for food from birds that might be eating the same sorts of things like insects. Well, those sound like some pretty good reasons to stay in the shadows. Yeah, I'd say so. So, we've covered sight and smell, but what about sound? Let's turn our attention back to perhaps the most popular twilight animal out there, owls. Who? Oh god. <laughs> owls have amazing hearing. When you look at an owl, there are a few traits that immediately stick out as being owly. They are usually pretty stout, big heads, even bigger eyes, but it's what is around the eyes that plays the most important role. Owls have what are called facial discs. Those are the large circular areas around their eyes made up of really tiny feathers. Those tiny feathers arrayed around their face function like two satellite dishes, fine-tuning and directing sound into their ears. Pretty cool. Speaking of their ears, did you know that they're placed asymmetrically? I did not. Yeah, so like if they were wearing headphones, they'd have one high up, you know, maybe by their temple, or like our temple, and then the other one would be low down, kind of like on our jawbone. So 
separate. So like if they were wearing those headphones or like iPod headphones, they'd have to have one strand way longer than the other ones. Otherwise it'd be tangled around their beak. And that would not be fun if you were an owl that listened to music. Uh, but anyway, that's why they move their heads the way they do. It's to pick up sound in both of their ears. And that's also exactly how they detect their prey. They can determine the location. They can determine the direction the sound is coming from just by the difference in time between when the sound hits one ear compared to the other. They can hear prey from hundreds of feet away, moving under the snow, leaf litter. They can even tell what size the animal is. However, sound has other ways of being used in the dimming light. We know bats echolocate, using sound to find their food. But what about when the tables turn? Right, moths are being found to have really complex understandings of the sounds that bats make. Some use this knowledge to detect uh, when they have been located to try and escape with some quick evasive maneuvers like a World War I dogfight with the Red Baron. But perhaps the coolest finding is that tiger moths have figured out how to use sound against their foe by making their own clicks when a bat is nearby, they effectively jam the signal of the bats. It confuses them, and they use that brief moment of chaos as a chance to escape. Of course, not all twilight sounds have such a violent connection. This is also a time for songs as birds, frogs, and toads, and also insects, engage in a chorus, singing the world to sleep. Many species use this time to interact with other members of theirs, communicating, finding mates, and getting work done like renovating your dam while the weather is cool. Twilight living is complicated, and it is the result of the extreme pressures of natural selection and competition. The evolutionary arms race has raged for millions of years, and as the years go on, that shield of time shrinks with one side or the other, developing some new adaptation that will give them even just the slightest advantage. And perhaps that's what seems the most strange about the Twilight Zone. It's not just that it is this odd balance between dark and light, day and night, but also life and death, violence and a certain peacefulness. It's the most quiet time of day, yet so many animals, deer, fox, other mammals, frogs and toads, birds, lizards, insects, they're all out there at their busiest. I couldn't agree more. Last episode's Animal Sound of the Week was a green frog. Here is the new Animal Sound of the Week. Alright, I'm going to give it a shot. I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, it's better than usual. That's much better than usual. Almost like we're closely related. As always, send us your guesses on Facebook for a chance to win a prize. Maybe not a great prize, but a prize nonetheless. A prize. Remember, if you have questions for us that you want, nay, need answered, 
You can submit your questions by sending us a message on Facebook at the Wildlife Blog or by clicking the green Ask DWL button on the front page of our website. Remember, there are no such thing as bad or dumb questions. The whole of human knowledge came to be only after millions of wrong guesses, near misses, and failures. So never be afraid to ask or try based on what you observe and already know for that matter, because that's how we learn. Instructions on how to submit your questions can be found at thewildlife.blog forward slash podcast. The Wildlife is listener, reader, and viewer supported. It can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you believe in what we're doing, you can show your support by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash the wildlife. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the wildlife. When you become a patron, you'll gain exclusive access to content, have the opportunity to appear on our show, ask questions, or help read the credits, and you get different prizes and awards. For sources and a more in-depth look at what we've talked about today, check out thewildlife.blog. As always, if we've made a mistake or got something wrong, please let us know with a quick message and we'll do our best to correct it. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store and share it with your friends. Bye. Auf Wiedersehen. Subscribers. Guten Abend after Twilight Nacken. Ach ja. I'm on a bike at the moment. And I hear some birds and some... <coughs> okay, just went through a big cloud of gnats. Oh, sh- oh my god. There's a spider doing a defensive pose at me right now. I didn't even realize it. It's not... There's a, there's a leaf like a foot away from me and there's a spider looking right at me. With its two front legs up. I hear a barred owl. It's kind of far. There's a lot of barred owls in these woods. I hear them actually quite often. Getting closer. Hope it doesn't fly away.